All right. Again, today we are talking college basketball. Everything from what the one and dones have done. Everything from, you know, the AAU scene. You know, just basically the entire landscape of college basketball and how it is today versus how it was before. Maybe some of the changes, what we can do to get it better. But just the overall aspect of college basketball. Let's take a look at it. Today, we got with us my guy, Bryant Northern, former player at University of Louisville. What's going on, man? How you doing? I am doing well. Doing well. Thanks for for joining us today. So I'm excited. Good, good. I'm I'm glad. Thanks for for coming in. So we're just jumping in here again, just talking college basketball as a whole. Tell me what you think of the landscape of college basketball. You know, I think this era of of college basketball is definitely for the players. It is a watered down product for the fans, though. Um, this is a generation of one and dones, two and dones. Uh, household names really don't exist anymore. Um, guys who stay all four years and become fan favorites. Um, it's, it's a thing of the past. We grew up in an era of Calvert Chaney, Jamal Mashburn, Glenn Robinson, the Ray Allen, the Allen Iversons, um, Christian Leitner, Bobby Hurley's, and those guys stayed two, three, four years and were names that you knew. Um, your, your parents, mom and dad even knew, you know, even people who didn't really follow the sports closely knew who were the best players. And now you look at college basketball. I was looking at the top 10. Purdue doesn't have a player right now that was a power five or a five-star recruit. Um, I'm looking at UConn, who's number two, 12 and no. I can't name one player on their team. And this is just an era of guys we don't know anymore, guys who are there for a year or two, transfer portal, where did he come from? Fifth-year senior, six-year senior. And it's, uh, it's a completely new product than what we're used to. I think a lot of that, and you kind of touched on it, obviously NIL stuff, transfer portal. Uh, but I think a big part of it is is the NBA. And what I mean by that is NBA is so potential oriented today. It's almost like they believe that if a kid doesn't stay or if he stays in college for three years, that he's not any good. Like you have to be at almost your peak ability or peak potential ability after one year or after two years. But if you stay three years, well, you're not any good. And almost saying at 21 years old, you have to be a finished product. That couldn't be further from the truth. I had a conversation with somebody about this the other day, and we both agreed. It's like, look at what real NBA teams do with, or with guys that come from Europe. They may draft a guy at 18, 19, 20 years old, and then they stash him over in Europe for them to play for another two or three years, and then they bring him back. I mean, college basketball could literally be the recruiting ground or the minor leagues of professional or of the NBA if they allowed it to be, especially with NIL right now. What do you think? I 100% agree. NBA GMs, NBA execs, they're like meteorologists. They're right about one out of three times. About 33% of the time they're right. And they, they can keep their job. They are drafting on potential. Um, the NBA rarely is looking for guys who can help right now. The juniors, the seniors, the proven commodities, the players who are proven year in and year out that they can sustain greatness or that they um, are physically ready. It's about drafting 18, 19 year olds with big verticals and long wingspans and guys who might pan out three, four, five years later. Right. And I think we can thank guys like Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, the Jermaine O'Neal's 
for for this kind of new thing. It used to be in the days of the 80s and 90s, you stayed four years, and when you took the best player, the best right. players were drafted one, two, three, four, five. Now you look at guys who don't start, guys who average six points a game, and they're looking at what could they be, who will Correct. they be, or where will they be in four or five years? It's a potential draft. If I was an NBA GM, I want to win right now. I want to draft the best players right now. If I happen to miss out on a 19-year-old, then so be it. Give me a 21, 22-year-old who can help me win right now and understands the game and the physicality right now. But that, but this is what they do. Yeah, it's exactly what they do. And it also pushes it down the line because teams can never get better because they're constantly drafting 18, 19-year-old guys that either make it or more than more than likely more than not they don't make it and then you just a constant cycle of them drafting in the lottery and they never get better it just you know it just a, a potential cycle of teams and you see it every single year is like at some point you got to start drafting people that can help you right now not in two or three years so well look at that's, you're in, you're in texas look at the greg brown kid from texas at physical freak athlete jumps out of the gym you draft him in the first round he can't dribble uh, can't really shoot, can't really defend, doesn't really know how to play. He is just a freak athlete. And then you're hoping in three, four, five years that he pans out to be a good basketball player. In today's game, it is really for the players. It's not for the fans, it's for the players. 10, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, there was no NIL. You know, guys were playing to get to the NBA, to get that bag, quote unquote, to get the money. And now you can make that money while you're in college. I saw a report about a year ago that said if NIL had existed when UofL won a national championship in 2012, that following year, Russ Smith would have been able to earn somewhere between two to $4 million because he was a senior, he was a household name. He even had a Russ-diculous name tag that was known across the country. People in California and Florida knew Russ-diculous and he would have made two to $4 million. Can you imagine that landscape? If, if he had been around for that, you even look at a Peyton Siva, they said he would have made about a million dollars. So today's league is set up for the players to thrive. It's not really for the fans anymore because we miss the four-year guys, the three-year guys. Uh, I'm a Louisville fan. You're obviously wearing your Louisville gear. My favorite all-time player was Dewan Wheat. You know, he stayed four years. He, he uh, took his uh, UofL to an Elite Eight. He proven everything that he needed to prove, ended up making it to the NBA. I just don't think those days are gone. If a guy is good enough now or has that type of success, we'll never see him till their senior year. No. There's no chance, no chance, because even if he's able to go to the NBA, they, he will get labeled that he's not any good because he stayed four years. Now, the flip side of that could be, hey, you know what? I've got this NIL deal. I'm going to take a pay cut if I go in the late second or late first round. I'm not a lottery pick or something Trace like Jackson that. Trace Jackson Davis from IU is, is an example. Yes. Um, Oscar yes. from UK is an example. Oscar yes. has made about $2.7 million. Yes. Trace Jackson Davis has made uh, over a million dollars. They both would have been second round picks and they would have came in at league minimum, 480, half a million dollars. They would have taken a pay cut to go pro. And so, not only that, they weren't guaranteed contracts because only the first rounds are guaranteed. You first know? 30 picks. Yes, and I'm just like, you know, and I think getting back to it i just think that the nil will change things a little bit it will change minds a little bit now it's going to take a couple of years for that to to filter in and do but i think it's going to change the ideas because again it's just like you said it doesn't mean a guy can't play but you know what why not stay and try to develop 
a little bit more while making money. It doesn't mean I have to go play professional basketball if I'm not ready to go play in the NBA or overseas in the G League or whatever the, whatever it is. I would rather stay here, number one, get an education, uh, but number two, I, I'm still making money and I'm still developing my game. I think that's going to cycle into it, Brian. I really do, man, because I, I think people, now again, it's not going to happen overnight, but over time, people are going to start to realize, hey, kids are making decisions based on themselves because that's what NIL is all about. Well, if that decision is monetary, then you have to look at it on the flip side and say, hey, their developmental aspects of it have to take in to account as well it can't just be monetarily when the ncaa implemented nil they were not thinking on the behalf of let these players stay longer and develop no. this was their counter to yes. we're losing dollars we're losing eyes we're losing good players the product is being watered down college basketball because our elite players are going g league europe are going pro so their counter was let's get these college guys paid and now we keep those dollars in the ncaa versus the N nba Absolutely. So this was a money move. Can we keep the best players in college basketball in college longer to help get viewers, to help generate more income for the NCAA, AA? And it's working because now if I'm a player, I'm not rushing to the NBA. If I'm an elite player, I'm talking about the guys who are really getting the bag because some guys are at, a, are at an institution and there's no real NIL money. There might be 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, but I'm talking about the guys who can make six figures, the guys who can make seven figures. You are, are in less of a rush. You're willing to take the time to stay, have fun, develop yourself and still get the money. And, and let's say you miss and you don't make the NBA. What if you make six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars in three or four years? What happens if you make two million over four years? Now you still have enough money to buy a home, to start your life. You've earned a degree. And that's enough um, of a safety net where, hey, life's going to be all right. I'm going to go to Europe or go wherever I need to go. But I put enough money in the bank that I can change my life. Absolutely. Absolutely. All I agree with everything that you said there, because all of it is correct. Uh, I, I think more people got to look at it that way versus, hey, they're just wanting to stay and get the money. Hey, man, if a regular college student was able to make that type of money and mm -hmm. get their education and just stay all four years, then why can't an athlete do the exact same thing? Just my opinion. Uh, but that's oh, it's a beautiful conversation thing. For another day. So tell me as far as one and duns. For me, I, I think one and duns are star, are, I mean, they're going to be around. I don't think it's going to go away. I know that the G League is trying to put something together and there's other leagues that are trying to put stuff together. But I believe that kids still like going to college and competing at the college level. Now, one and done players, you know, whether they should be one and done, maybe they should stay two years. That's a different conversation. But what do you think that the one and done culture has done to college basketball? One and done culture has created guys going pro before they're ready. Now, if you can go and be a first round pick and get paid, it's hard to tell a kid or a family, don't go be a millionaire right now, wait. Right. It's like having a winning lottery ticket and saying, don't cash it yet, let it accrue or build some interest and cash it later. Most people would take the money now. So I think it's very naive of us to think, well, wait one more year, wait two more years when you're quote unquote ready. But the truth is on average, and I did a little bit of research here, about 23% of the draft picks are freshmen, okay? so. Almost one out of four first round picks are freshmen, okay? Now, of those freshmen, about seven guys in the first round are freshmen. How many of those guys impact the team are ready to play? I went back the last six or seven years, it's two, maybe three of those guys are ready to play. 
think about that. So yeah. let's say of the last 30 guys who were freshmen that went in the last four years, about six or seven of them are actually physically ready to compete at that level. So what is happening now is those guys are sitting the bench. Those guys aren't playing. Those guys aren't developing. They're getting bumped to the G League and they don't sustain. They don't get the second contract where the real money is. The real money is on the second contract. The first contract is capped. It's a set dollar amount. When you get to the second and third contract, that's the real life-changing money. And if you go pro too early, it's just like uh, if you're going to be an engineer and that requires, a, uh, let's say, a master's degree. You need five, six years to be an engineer. If you leave college as a freshman or sophomore, hold on, baby. If you leave college as a freshman or sophomore, you wouldn't be ready to properly build and sustain your craft. You would still need more education. Now, they might give you on-job training or et cetera, but you wouldn't be able to fulfill your obligation because you're not ready. And that's the problem with one and dones is you get the money, so you feel like you've won, but you can't perform. You're sitting the bench, you're not getting developed, you're getting traded, you're getting moved around. They send you to the G League, and now you've kind of hurt your career, you've hurt your stock versus someone who's ready to do the job. Absolutely, 100%. I, I, you see it all the time, even with high draft picks. Guys are just not ready to play. I mean, there's a difference between being a professional and not being a professional and being a college player, man. There's just a difference, especially when you're talking about an 18, 19, 20-year-old, man, and you're playing and, and living and dealing an everyday life with people that are 30, 35 years old, man, the people that have families, mortgages, you know, real-life stuff. There's just a difference. And I get the whole aspect of, Yes, and you can't tell somebody not to go and, and you know, you're going to be a first-round draft pick. Hey, don't go make a million dollars. Don't go. That's crazy. That's crazy talk. At the same right. time, you got to understand, you got to keep developing because I think a lot of people, they go, they get the money, and then it's just, okay, that's it. And they stop developing or they weren't ready. And mm -hmm. it's just, to me, the one-and-done cycle, I, I think – just don't even have it in there. If guys just want to go from high school like it used to be, just let them go. But if you go to college, make them go two years and, and develop. That, that's just my personal opinion. I know. I honestly looks, think if you sure. let guys go out of high school, it, it, it'll it'll ruin some lives because guys will never yeah. step foot in college and they'll never be ready to make it. I think a year or two also gives the NBA scouts to say, hey, we're not going to draft you yet. You're not ready. Now. Although they're drafting on potential, I do think what you see sometimes is guys come back because they don't get the review or the response that they want. They hire an agent or they dibble dabble with some different scouts and they say, you got to get stronger, you got to become a better shooter. You leave out of high school and I think, man, um, you still get the same seven, eight, nine, ten guys who are get drafted. And we said two freshmen a year out of the seven or eight that go first round can actually impact and can play. Imagine nine, 10, 12 kids out of high school. What does that percentage go to then that are actually ready to help? And there's a lot of guys that we have forgot about or we haven't heard of that went pro too early. And then you end up saying they're a bust. What happened to such and such? Where, where did they go? Right. They're in the G League. They're in Europe right now trying to figure it out. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on. And you're right. It will ruin a lot of lives, but it did previously, you know, before the one and done rule was in. You saw a lot of guys that, that went pro that literally just didn't make it. But, I mean, at, at some point, we got to just say, at least in my opinion, at some point, it's just like, look, colleges, if, if the NBA is going to use college to be a, a, a recruiting ground, per se, or minor leagues, then make it be that. 
don't just say well just one year because one year a lot of times is not a, enough time to understand what's going on in the nba is part of it stop drafting on potential start drafting guys that can help you right now if you stop drafting on potential a lot of this stuff would go away but it is it's the it nba's is. fault i agree with you yeah if they yeah. stop doing that the game the game changes the game changes altogether. and like i mentioned before you see it happening, though, when they draft a guy from Europe because the NBA knows Euro European basketball is totally different than American basketball when it comes to development. They develop you how to play basketball at a young age, and then you become a star based on your ability. But they teach you how to play. That's why when they draft a, a lot of European guys, I'm not going to say all, but a lot of European guys, they'll draft you at 18. They stash you in Europe let you develop even more, and bring you back when you're 21, 22, because they know, number one, you're more physically, you know, fit and physically developed, but your your ability to play basketball is a lot better at that point in time. I just think that at some point, the NBA's got to do that as well to help some of these kids make some decisions. Make the decisions for them. Make it easier for them. So I think another thing, and kind of rolling into that, is the AAU aspect of basketball, because... It, it, like we when we played basketball way back when, AU was way different than what it is today. Mm -hmm. Today it is a full fledged business, and yes. it, it just was <clears throat> not that back in the day. Tell me how what you think as far as how AAU is affecting college basketball. Well, I have some friends that work on the Nike circuit, so I have a, a buddy, and he I went to the LeBron James Bronny. Mm -hmm. versus um, Dewan Wagner Jr. game in Louisville. There was about 12,000 people that showed up for the game. We got there two hours early to get a seat. I've never seen that many people there for an AAU game. Um, basically, for some of these teams to come to your event, they are demanding ten to $15,000 to $20,000, which covers their team's flight, their team's hotel, they want personal security, to come to a tournament. So they're not paying an entry fee. Your tournaments are paying these teams tens of thousands of dollars to come. Amani Bates was a part of that. Dewan Wagner Jr. Every tournament he went to because they say we're going to bring in dollars. You're charging $25 a day to get in. We're going to bring in two, three, four thousand people to watch this kid play. So pay us to come. It is completely a business. It was not like that when I played and I played with some good players. I mean, a guy by the name of Zach Randolph who played in the NBA was an all-star one year. We were roommates one year. It was nothing like that. Um, but now it is about endorsements. Do you got a, are you in the Nike circuit? Are you in the Adidas circuit? Um, are you playing with high caliber guys? NBA players now have their own teams. I don't remember that when I was young. I don't remember a team Michael Jordan or a team Larry Bird. Now Bradley Bill has a team and Kevin Durant and Chris Paul and all of these guys are now developing teams and they're pumping tens of thousands of dollars into these teams. Teams are flying everywhere they go. We used to hop in a, a, a white van and drive 10, 12 hours to Florida or North Carolina or Chicago. So the money that's being put behind it, um, recruiting, you know, with AAU. Now, if you play in a Nike team, you're more than likely to go to a college that is a Nike team. Sure. So it, it's so strategic. It's so financial. It is completely a business. And there's a lot of money to be made, even in the AAU uh, ranks. Absolutely. I, I just... It's so different than when I played, which again, that was 30 years ago. It's just, it's a total business now. I don't begrudge them. I don't begrudge them. I, I just think it's, it, it's just different. You know, before it used to be an avenue where kids, you know, you would play, you got better and all, and they still do that. Don't get me wrong. But now it is a complete 100% business. Uh, and kind of what you mentioned, the shoe contracts, 
you know, doesn't force kids to go to school, to certain schools. But it's like, if I've grown up and I've played on the Nike circuit and I've worn Nikes my whole life, nine times out of 10, they're going to go to a school regardless that is a Nike school. I, I, I think that's bad for basketball. But well, what about the coaches who get a kickback? They've now developed relationships with Nike schools and different coaches or different people who are influencing and paid to influence will pay AAU coaches. We'll give them a kickback. We'll give them dollars to help push or steer a kid to a school. Which that is happening. Worse. It makes it even worse because now the kid's interest isn't at heart. It's who's going to pay me the most money to get a kid to a school. And, you know, the other thing, Big B, is social media. When we played, if you weren't at the game, no one knew what you did. That's there was right. a piece of paper that said your stats. That's now right. you have YouTube, you have Twitter, you got highlights, you got video. There's a kid out there somewhere who's played in a game, did a dunk. It's went viral. Now everybody in the country knows who he is because of a dunk. Right. There's performances and games that took place 20, 30 years ago that if someone wasn't there, it, it didn't happen in, in a sense. Exactly. So not only is AAU a big business, but the social media combined with AAU, it's 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 like dynamite. I mean, the the highlight Zion Williamson blew up overnight over YouTube videos and playing um, against nobodies. Yeah, all those videos were him playing against nobody. I'm not saying he didn't dominate AAU, but the videos that you saw of Zion on YouTube were him literally playing against a bunch of nobodies. It looked like 4A versus 1A, and that's what yes. it kind of was. Now, it translated. He went to Duke and did everything he did on those little kids. That's right. He did it at Duke at the ACC. But I remember those videos. He was dunking on 5'10", 5'11", guys, and I'm just yes. like, well, who is he playing against? Yes, nobody. It was crazy. Absolutely crazy. Well, man, I want to thank you, number one, for taking the time to, to, to jump on. We'll definitely do this again because I know we got a Absolutely. lot to talk about with Louisville, man. So, uh, so we will definitely do this again. I appreciate it, man. Tell everybody, I know you got some stuff that you do. Tell everybody what you're doing these days, man. I am a full-time basketball trainer. I don't actually coach a team. So in today's generation, which didn't exist when we came around, I work with kids all the way from about eight to even college players who come back. So what we do is skill development. We do shooting, ball handling, dribble drive. We work on strength, we work on speed, we work on scoring off the dribble, finishing. And I do this probably about 345, 350 days a year. Okay. So uh, I've been doing that for about four years full-time, about seven years total, but four years now I've been full-time training. Tell, uh, tell us where can we find you and where can people get in contact with you? Well, uh, I'm only on Facebook right now from a social media standpoint. Um, okay. And I don't use a lot of my social media to push my business because honestly, I'm almost full. I, word of mouth has really, uh, okay. I've literally booked two, three weeks in advance. Um, okay. I don't need to you know, post a million videos or be out there kind of searching for business. It comes organically, but I'm gonna have a gym in Jeffersonville. I rent a church, a first Christian church in Jeffersonville. And I train about 30 to 40 kids a day. And when school's out, a number goes to about 50 kids a day. Okay, man. Well, that's good stuff. You don't find you. good trainers. I mean, there's a lot of people out there, Brian, that I know you know that train people that don't know what they're doing, don't have the experience, that I feel like, me personally, that they're ripping people off. They don't have well, somebody me, that's played college basketball that understands the game of basketball like you do. Well, let me, let me touch on that. I don't think that being a player at a high level necessarily validates that you're going to be a great no, trainer. Brad Stevens is one of my favorite coaches of all time, and he didn't play in the NBA. He wasn't an elite college player. He was a film and a stat guy who just had a brilliance and a knack to be great at coaching. I just think at the end of the day, the quality of the training should be um, 
development growth in actually practical basketball that can be applied to games. I see videos of trainers, they're teaching moves, they're teaching a kid to dribble 15 times before they shoot, yeah. moves that they're gonna use maybe once or twice in a game. It has to be fundamentals, it has to be practical. Um, it needs to be able to be customized for the individual kid. What do you need to work on? And in that case, if that happens, then it's quality training. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate it, man. Thank you, Thank for, you. for coming on. And uh, like I said, we'll have you back. Appreciate you jumping on, man. Thank you, Big B. Have a great one. Oh, you too. See you, buddy.